Hello, welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast, a podcast all about our food systems and how we fit into them. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig. Remember, check us out at nourishingliberty.com. We post regular webinars about food and health topics for you so you can be your healthiest you. And speaking of health, I have a special guest with us here today. Dr. Grady Kaiser. Now, Dr. Kaiser is a personal friend and a wonderful physician. We're going to get into all the letters behind his name in just a moment, but I want to give a brief overview of who he is and who he is in the community. So on top of being a doctor and having tons of education, I know Dr. Kaiser to be deeply committed to community. And operating on principles based around community and based around the principles that we talk about frequently, which is interaction with other humans. It is about being closer to nature and having a spiritual life. So Dr. Kaiser, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I am so thrilled you're here and we are going to have a really interesting discussion. Well, thank you, Liz. It's great to be with you. And I want to commend you on the work that you're doing. It's really great. Well, thank you. And right back at you. (laughs) Uh, Also, um, for all of our wonderful audience, Dr. Kaiser is originally from Texas and very proud of it, right? And so we will hear, we will hear Texas drawl from Dr. Kaiser at some points. So Yes. So let's start with some definitions because we do that here on the Nourishing Liberty podcast. We like to really get down to the very basics of what do these words mean that we're using. So we pretty much all know what doctor means. It means somebody who is licensed as a medical professional in our country, right? And you have a lot of other credentials, which are fascinating. You first got your start in veterinary medicine, and then you went on to medical school, and now you have so many more credentials. Uh, Gosh, I can't even list them all, but physiology, sports, neuromuscular, something or other. (laughs) And then you're also a, a doctor of, let me, let me restart. <laughs> you are a, an osteopathic physician. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. And the letters that indicate that are D-O. Correct. So can you start by telling us what is the difference between an MD, medical doctor, and a D-O, an osteopathic physician? Sure. Uh, that's a great question uh, because it becomes relevant when we are uh, engaging in patient care, that a lot of patients and the public in general are not aware that not everyone uh, who is a doctor has MD behind their name. Uh, There are two paths within the United States medical legal system by which one can become a physician. One is through the traditional MD, medical doctor, in which somebody would attend what they uh, some people would still refer to, maybe not as much as they used to, allopathic medical school. Okay. And uh, there is a sort of a, uh, a naming history behind that. Um, but nonetheless, the, 
the MDs go to MD school, but then the alternative path is to become an osteopathic physician and go to osteopathic medical school. Now, the, the difference is in practice, uh, there's virtually no difference, generally speaking, because we are all MDs and DOs, we are all equally licensed under the law to practice a full scope of medicine and surgery. And so you will have DOs who are neurosurgeons. You'll have DOs who are cardiologists. You'll have DOs who are neurologists. Uh, any field of practice that you'll find MDs, you can find DOs, even though they may not be as prevalent as MDs. They'll probably uh, for the most part, being the minority. And that's because a lot of schools of osteopathic medicine make it as their charter to produce primary care physicians to send into the underserved areas of the country. And that's where traditionally DOs have gone. And so you'll find a, a lot more DOs who are family medicine physicians than you will find DOs who are brain surgeons, for example. Okay. Um, now that's changing somewhat. And I believe the latest statistic was one in every five uh, medical students is an osteopathic medical student. Now, there are more osteopathic medical schools coming online. And so we are growing in population. And so that's, the, that's sort of the um, out in practice difference between MD and DO. There's, there's virtually very little difference. The difference comes in the education. Um, when we go through medical school in an osteopathic setting, we have to learn everything that the MDs have to learn. We have to take almost identical tests. We still have to match into residency programs when they're all done. We have to go through uh, sec or third and fourth year clerkships uh, in working in the clinics with other physicians, many of them are MDs. And so the only real difference is in addition to those core curriculums that we have to take and proficiencies, we also have to learn uh, osteopathic principles and practices. And that's where we learn osteopathic history, osteopathic philosophy, and then we have to do hands-on training to become uh, at least minimally proficient in hands-on diagnosis and treating of somatic dysfunctions within the body. And so um, the, what, what that should translate into is that uh, whereas MDs don't get that training in the clinical setting, they may not be able to do much for you if you come in with an upper respiratory infection and say you've got some neck pain to go with it. They're going to be basically relegated uh, in the most part, there are some exceptions, but mostly they'll be relegated to either giving another prescription to cover neck pain or sending to out to physical therapy. Whereas what should happen is a DO on the other hand could say, well, why don't you lay down on my table? I'll feel your neck. Oh, I feel a somatic dysfunction here. Let me treat it with osteopathic treatment. So the patient goes out happy, feeling better, without any added burden of pharmaceuticals with all of the attendant uh, potential consequences of that. So a couple words to clarify there. What is a somatic, did you say a somatic dysfunction? Yeah. And then what is an osteopathic treatment? Okay, 
good question. Somatic dysfunction is comes from the word soma, which means body. So uh, it's a it's a dysfunction within the body that we as osteopathic physicians are trained to look for, and the there are criteria that you look for, and it it can uh, be found through the um, uh, through the mnemonic TART T A R T. So you can have uh, tissue texture abnormality. Uh, you can have asymmetry. One side is not like the other. You can have restriction of motion of a joint, or uh, you can have tenderness when you push on something. Those are how you would identify a somatic dysfunction. And then you would treat that as an osteopathic physician. You would treat it with OMT, which is osteopathic manipulative treatment where we put hands on and we identify the restriction and then we address the restriction through any number of tools, treatment tools that we have in our tool bag by which we use our hands. So that could be just soft tissue that may feel like a massage. It may be uh, something like counter strain where we find a tight muscle instead of stretching it out, which is a tendency of a lot of people, we actually shorten it up to turn off a guarding reflex and restore blood flow to that mm -hmm. tissue so it relaxes all by itself. Um, we may do muscle energy where we try to engage a barrier and get the, the patient to push back against us. And that fatigues the muscle that's holding the dysfunction in place so that once they let go, then we can easily stretch that muscle out and to relieve the tension from it. So those are just a few examples wow some of the tools that, that fall under the umbrella of osteopathic manipulative treatment. So it sounds like it's the osteopathic physicians are both the medical doctor and a physical therapist all together, all as one. That's a, that's a reasonable way of looking at it for the, for those DOs who, who do practice manipulation. And that, that brings up an issue. Sadly, only about 25% of DOs regularly practice OMT in the clinic setting. Okay. There are any number of reasons why that is, but uh, obviously there are people trying to address that because we want more DOs doing what they are educated and trained to do, which is to help their patients. Yeah. It's designed for and to minimize the reliance on potentially harmful medications. Right. Now there's two other words I want to get into real quick, and then we'll, we'll broaden it a little bit. And they're holistic and integrative, because especially in the, in the natural food community, in the, um, shall we say, holistic <laughs> health community, these words are used a lot. And I think they're, they have slightly different nuances depending on who's using them or what context they're used in. So as a practicing osteopathic physician, when you use these words or when you hear these words, what do they mean to you in the context of uh, identifying a, uh, sorry, what is that word when you <laughs> figure out diagnosing? That's the word, diagnosing. <laughs> What, um, how do you, how, how are these important concepts and words when you're looking at a patient, diagnosing a patient, and then determining a treatment protocol? Oh, good question. So holistic would be uh, first a recognition. Uh, there are several tenets within 
osteopathic medicine. And one of those is each individual is, compri is, compri is a composite comprised of mind, body, and spirit. Uh, second tenet is the tenet of self-healing, that each of us uh, contain within ourselves a natural ability to, to self-heal. Uh, the third is that form follows function. Anatomy is related to physiology. Physiology is related to anatomy. And then the fourth tenet of osteopathic medicine is that any rational treatment is going to be based upon the above three tenets that we just talked about. And so I love that, by the way, I love those tenets. Right. That's amazing. And it's, it's principles I hold very dearly as well. Yeah. But go on. Exactly. Um, and and so that's your that's what you are addressing as well through uh, through your nourishing liberty, uh, getting good food to people. So um, within a within a setting, uh, I can't really say that I have truly fully holistically addressed someone until I have addressed every aspect of that individual, the body. That's easy. You know, we, you know, you can, you can train any number of people to address a body issue. Um, mind, oh, that becomes more difficult. Okay. Cause it, there, there's a lot that goes into the mind. And so there's a lot that you have to consider when addressing the mind. And then finally, the spirit is the deepest it's the most fundamental aspect of any one of us. And uh, so you, you see this as sort of a holistic from my perception of an osteo through an osteopathic lens is like this holy trinity within each individual of mind, body, and spirit. And it's my job to address each one of those because to not do so means to um, neglect one aspect mm. and uh probably not you know it'd probably be easy to to understand that the most controversial aspect of that is spirit with in my uh, all of my uh check-in forms i ask people do you participate in spiritual practice the uh, sadly most people will say no or it'll be some some uh, ambiguous answer put in there. And that tells me that we suffer spiritually. We, we are deprived spiritually. And so uh, from my perspective, to, for me to be truly holistic is to at least offer um, spiritual treatment from a spiritual, mental, and body perspective. And it, that, that can be done all at once. So there, there's not any, you know, mystical special sauce or anything like that to pour on anybody it's just acknowledging uh, a lot of it is just being kind to people taking time yeah. and not rushing them through a factory of of so-called healthcare, and uh attending to the needs of the individual as they present yeah that's really interesting and the the spiritual component of that it it matches uh in permaculture when we look at a whole system and a human-centered system, because we're not asking the trees what practice they have of spirituality, but a human-centered system looking at the resilience, a, a component of that, a piece of that is that spiritual component, that spirituality, whether it is adherence to a spe specific religion or the daily morning walk in the woods, it's, it's what 
what is it for that person? And it's an important component in the picture of resilience. So I love how closely these match with um, the, these philosophies and how much they overlap. So for, for osteopathic medicine, then the holistic approach means incorporating the mind, the body, and the spirituality of the person being treated. Right. And, and I didn't get into your second question, which was how might that, um, how might that manifest in, in a clinical setting? Um, so uh, a good example would be, again, I like to go back to upper respiratory infections because those have prevailed over the last two years um, and they continue to do so. Um, so if somebody came in to me with an upper respiratory infection, first I would be, I would have my, my doctor head on. And what I want to do there basically is to rule out anything scary. So I want to take their temperature, look at their vitals. Uh, I want to listen to their lungs and their heart. I wanna ask them any relevant questions that might bring forth anything that we need to uh, address immediately that, that could be potentially life threat. The vast majority of time, there is just an uncomplicated upper respiratory infection. So once I've ruled those out, then um, I can start putting on my osteopathic hat and realize that um, uh, we, in order to optimally heal from any type of upper respiratory infection and to prevent it settling into pneumonia, I have to make sure that the spine is nice and springy, that the ribs are springy, that they're, that they're moving in concert with one another, and that there are any uh, tissue tensions that are released around the head, the upper neck, uh, the back, the chest wall, the shoulders, all of these play together to optimi optimize uh, lymphatic flow through the lungs and to help the diaphragm work better uh, so that we keep fluids moving in the system. We don't want stagnation because then that leads to fermentation for lack of a better uh, sense. And so what I might do then is address any somatic dysfunctions they have, lay them on my table. We'll do some rib raising to try to loosen up the ribs. Uh, we'll do some articulatory techniques to loosen up any uh, uh, joints in the neck or the back that are restricted. I may even do some effleurage around the orbits and to address the paranasal sinuses. Um, once completed with that, we will talk about any self uh, treatments that we can do at home. Uh, for example, steam treatments that I'm a big fan of. Um, uh, my wife is Chinese, and so she introduced me to this idea of getting fresh ginger and cutting it up <laughs> and putting it in boiling water and let mm -hmm. it turn an amber color and just sticking your head and just breathing in those fumes and feeling it open up the, the sinuses. It works uh, wonders. Yeah. Uh, uh, adequate hydration to prevent uh, mucus accumulation. Um, self-treatments that can be done, doorway stretches to open up the thorax and to keep the ribs loosened up. Any number of things along those lines uh, we can address. And then as always, when people come in, I, I, I have an open invitation to have a prayer with any of my patients. Um, and so it's, I don't push it on anybody, but it's always there as an option for them. Some take it, 
some don't, it's fine. But at least from that spiritual perspective, um, I, I at least offer that to, to provide a, within one setting what I deem to be an adequate holistic treatment for that individual. Wow, that's really thorough. That's not, um, it's not what you might get at a typical MD. Now I have, I have a quick story for you. I might've already sure. told you this story, but here it is. So shortly after um, my last child was born, she's 11 now. So this was many years ago. I came down with something, just something that just stayed here, just face, neck, chest, just, it was just there. It was probably like a solid three weeks. And my grandfather, who um, I adored, and he was also a doctor, he said, would just get to a doctor, any doctor you want, I'll pay for it. And so I, there was a naturopathic physician near me who uh, came with high recommendations. And I, I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go to this doctor. And it was such an amazing experience because I go in and she takes this time to talk with me, find out what is my life like and answer all these questions. And then she says, okay, here's what we're going to do. She says, go lie down on your back. And she took these really super thin needles. They were like acupuncture needles, but a little bit longer. And there was a little bit of gauze on them. And she dipped them in a couple essential oils and put them up in my nasal cavities. And I just lay there and just drained. And I just remember just that whole, just my whole body was going and just draining. And it was like all of that, you know, years of pregnancy and nourishing babies and just all of the stress of that and kids getting sick all the time. And it was such a release. It was such an incredible release. And I was there for like 15 minutes and I'm like the whole time laughing too, because it's hilarious. And it feels really funny to just have your entire nasal cavity drain. And then I thought also how simple it was and how non-invasive and there was no side effects. And why don't we do this first? So I love everything you're talking about because we can do this. I can get in a doorway and stretch. I can do the ginger. I do the ginger tea. The, the herbalist I had on a few weeks ago, she said, make, as soon as you get sick, make a ginger garlic tea and then add lemon juice and honey. So <laughs> that's our, that's our go-to now. Right. Um, so I love the way it, it consistently also comes back to nourishment. Mm. Right. And bringing it back to that, everything you're saying about self-healing and the body being designed to heal itself, given proper tools. Now, where does food play a role in all of that, in your wellness package, shall we say? Because that's foundational, right? Mm -hmm. We come to a doctor when we have a trauma or when we have something we we need support in healing, but where does foundational nutrition and, and food and our relationship to food fit into everything you teach? Well, that's, that's one of the fundamental uh, foundational aspects of, of lifestyle that I always ask about. Um, I'm constantly asking my patients about their nutritional patterns, um, particularly my new patients. Um, I'll ask them about sleep, 
and about exercise and about nutrition. And, and those are the three areas that I'm most consistently engaged in um, because there is a lot of poor nutritional education amongst the populace. And, and it's not necessarily their fault. It's, it's that the, the nutritional world has become a morass of endless information and a lot of it contradictory. And, um, and people tend to get their news from these quick hit sort of platforms that will jump on something and, and for clicks, they'll make something outlandish statement. Oh, coffee's bad. Oh, coffee's good. You know, who, and then, you know, you're left tumbling in the wind. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, when I ask people about nutrition, the vast majority of them say, well, I eat, I eat a healthy diet. But when we get into the details of that, yeah. they're eating anything but a healthy diet. Um, and then the second thing you think about, too, is that our our individual physiology is so unique in terms of how you process food versus how I process food can be so different that what is a healthy food for you may not be as healthy for me. And so I try to approach nutrition from a very individualized perspective with, uh, with my patients. And a lot of it depends on what issues they're dealing with. For example, the vast majority of the people that I see because I am boarded in neuromusculoskeletal medicine, most of the people that I see are neck pain, back pain, joint pain, that sort of thing. And so one of the things I'm trying to do from a nutritional standpoint is relieve their pain in part by nutrition. Yeah. Um, and so I want at least for a time to eliminate it as much as possible known inflammatory foods. A lot of times I think uh, nutrition can, can, you can see two sides of the same coin. One side is we need to be supplying good nutrients that our body needs to, to run efficiently. The other side is we have to stop the damage and we, we have to stop putting in our body the things that are destroying our body. Um, and so when I'm, for example, I just consulted with somebody today. Uh, she's been seeing me for quite some time and, uh, and she's been having persistent back trouble. And finally, I convinced her to go gluten-free and to uh, uh, drop her sugar. And, and she finally came in today and she was crying because on one hand, her pain is way down. On the other hand, she misses the sugar. Yeah. And so what does that tell you about the nature of sugar? If pulling away from you suddenly causes depression type symptoms in a person. And so we had a good discussion about, you know, uh, the, how sugar can be a very addictive substance in, in addition to other processed foods. And, uh, so that's kind of an example of the, the path I take uh, oftentimes with nutrition. I'm trying to meet each people where they are and to not let, in it, not let perfect become the enemy of good and uh, realize that there's not a, there, there are very few broad brush strokes that work for everybody. 
we just have to find what works for each individual. Yeah, yeah. I love that because it honors, it honors them and it's, you know, individualizing that and not saying everybody needs to be this way or everybody needs to be that way. It really does honor that unique physiology that we each share. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that we don't share, right? <laughs> Yeah. That, that we each that the the differences are our commonality if that makes sense paradoxically yeah. right yeah right. so now there's another story that comes to mind when you're talking about this individualism and then i want to definitely dig a little deeper into the gut health mm -hmm. um and that is over the years there have been many times when a trusted loved one will ask me uh, about a treatment protocol that they should, like their doctor has advised them X, Y, or Z. And what do I think? Or a loved one follows a certain protocol and another loved one comes to me and says, they shouldn't be doing that. It's X, Y, or Z. And I've always firmly held that the treatment that the person feels is best for them probably is, <laughs> right? I mean, of course there are some glaring exceptions to that but there's that whole belief system in what they're doing and that whole uh the autonomy of being able to decide for themselves what treatment and to some extent i think it's true to some extent now you know where i am principally when it comes to food and nutrition but to some extent it, it is also a component it is a component of nutrition and food and diet. Now, that being said, we don't have honest information available to us from the public health sector when it comes to nutrition. So it relies on uh, having that honest, transparent information to know, do I want to eat broccoli or do I want to eat Brussels sprouts? Mm -hmm. But within certain parameters, it matters what we are what we believe, right? What each person believes about their own self and their own body and their own belief system. And so an example of that might be, uh, I know people who are vegetarians because they hold very strong beliefs about mm -hmm. not harming other living beings. And for them, that probably is best, right? And if they manage to integrate certain components of nutrition, into that you know, animal nutrition, like butter or um, eggs, then they can probably maintain health, their own health for quite a lot longer and hold on to that spiritual practice of no meat. So that is one thing. Now, I really do wanna get a little bit more into the specifics of gut health because yes, people for the past couple of years have been dealing with acute respiratory infections. And there are so many people who are dealing with chronic gut health issues. What do you know? What can you speak to about what you've seen regarding gut health and habits or the physiology of the body? Yeah. First, uh, let me backtrack and, and, and dovetail off something you said, because I think it's very important about honoring the autonomy of our patients. That used to be sacred in medicine and you know i have always seen and i guess i'm old school in this sense or maybe not 
my job is to be an advisor and, and to help in ways that I can help without intruding upon the autonomy of my patients. Mm. And I had assumed up till a couple of years ago that other doctors were the same, but that's not the stories that I'm hearing from my patients anymore. Okay. So, um, I, I, you know, I have patients that do all sorts of things that I think probably is not optimal for them, but I don't see that as my ground to intrude. Again, to me, that's, it's sacred ground. I may suggest something for, the, for them to try, but it's not upon me to browbeat or to kick them out of my medical practice or to, um, or to beat them down for, for any of these choices that they make. Because you're right. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a biblical concept, and that is that uh, if you think you're sinning, then you're sinning. If you're violating what you know, what you think is wrong, uh, then to you it's sin. And I would not want to force, for example, a, a vegetarian to, uh, to do something against their conscience. And, and that's just yeah. part of it. We just work around that. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the, it's, it's uh, my, one of my highest rules is that uh, I work for my patients, not the other way around. And so it's for me to honor, honor their, uh, their health decisions because they have to live in their own body. Like you said, it, you, you do this long enough and you'll know, you, you tune in to what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And you can pretty quickly pick your own path. And you'll know, okay, I don't do good with this. I do good this way. And as far as I'm concerned, there's, I cannot argue with that. If somebody has a history of knowing what path they're supposed to be on, I, I back off regardless of what I think, because they have to live in their own body, not me. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's their responsibility and it's their privilege. And, and so they hold sway on that. Um, I think I, I tell me the question that you asked me before I backtrack. Well, no, I love that. It's, it's, it's really clear and it's so principled and I love talking about principles, operating on those principles, uh, sticking with them. It's important. And the specific question was getting into the uh, nitty gritty of gut health and, and right specifically some of the chronic gut health issues we're seeing a lot more of these days ibs which is mm -hmm. irritable bowel syndrome chronic colitis uh, crohn's disease you probably know more of them by name than i do these are the ones that are most common mm -hmm. not normal right mm -hmm. no. <laughs> not normal but common in what i'm seeing in a younger generation than me even mm -hmm. yeah it's shocking so, frankly right it is, uh, and it's what's what's even more shocking is how we're almost led to believe these are normal aberrations. Exactly. And that all you got to do is take Prilosec for your acid reflux, and problem solved. Or be on anti-inflammatories or steroids yeah. or the rest of your life. Right. Like right. somehow this is normal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and common does not equal normal. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I, 
I tend to look at things from that structural osteopathic standpoint. And one of the things that I see very frequently, it was bad before the pandemic, but it's 10 times worse now, is the development of what we call upper cross syndrome. And that's where you see people who should be standing upright with their shoulders back and their head lined up relatively well with their shoulders. Um, and instead, now they're hunched forward, they're pulled forward. It's almost like they're collapsing in on themselves from the front. Their head is drawn forward. They have extension through the upper part of the neck because they're always straining. They're slumped down, but they always have to look at their computer screen, which is probably too small and too low. And, um, and so from an osteopathic perspective, that is a, that is a structural recipe for a physiologic dysfunction. It's not always predictable what it's going to be, but it doesn't take, you know, uh, a biological engineer to see how it could be uh, going off the rails when we collapse in our abdomen because we sit too long. Our lower back comes into too much flexion because of our lumbar supported chairs that we ease back into instead of actually sitting upright. They say, you know, sitting is the new smoking. And uh, that's been a saying around for what, 10 or 15 years. Um, and it's true. Uh, so what happens when we sit is that patterns get frozen into place. The length tension relationships of different muscles within the body alter to think they should be shorter than they really are. For example, the hip flexors. Uh, you sit too long, your hip flexors get tightened up, and now you can't stand up straight. Um, and so these sorts of things can play into a, a, a wide array of gut issues. One of the most uh, predominant is reflux. Uh, I'm seeing tons of people with reflux now. And a lot of it uh, comes down to compression through the diaphragm that uh, causes a, a, uh, a distorted pattern to take place within that muscle, that layer of muscle that doesn't allow the lower esophageal sphincter to actually close off to keep the acid down here. Plus they're in this flexed position and all their abdominal contents are pushing up and causing the stomach to be pushed up and all the contents of the stomach to propel up the esophagus. Um, I'm seeing uh, uh, abdominal wall tensions. Uh, a lot of people are, are being diagnosed, it seems like, by uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And there are dysfunctions that, that take place around the ileocecal valve in the right lower quadrant that uh, can precipitate uh, a backflow of what should be in the large intestine and, and exclusively in the large intestine, and now it's growing in the small intestine. Um, a lot of these things from a structural standpoint are related to posture. Posture is king, and that's something that seems like, oh my, yeah, my mother told me posture is king, but that's my mother. No, posture is really king because anatomy relates to physiology, physiology relates back to anatomy. They're intertwined with each other. And so a lot of the dysfunctions that I see from a osteopathic standpoint, even though it's not purely an osteopathic standpoint, but it contributes is poor posture. Um, and generally engaging in lifestyles that we are not designed to. None of us is designed to sit for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day in front of a computer. 
and to not hardly move. Uh, we are made to do mechanical labor. We're made to walk. We're made to run and jump and, and engage and lift things, to bend and lift. Um, but I've seen people so fragile that I'd be afraid for them to bend over and pick up a pencil. Um, so uh, these sorts of things play together in addition to just the, um, you know, it's, it's become very, very easy to get a, a meal in a bag instead of actually cooking and taking the time. People's lives are so convinced that they'll kick out the most important things in life for the sake of convenience of the things that are of lesser importance. And they'll invest their good years in, in you know, worldly pursuits, trying to make enough money so that when they get older and their health falls apart, now they're going to doctors all the time with all that time that they bought with their money that they made when they were young and healthy. And so uh, that is a, from my perspective, that's a lot of what plays into uh, the gut issues that I'm seeing. So I try to get people moving, walking, uh, uh, standing um, instead of sitting, because there are, there are studies that show uh, that our physiology changes when we're standing versus when we're laying versus when we're sitting and, and how uh, walking can be one of the most therapeutic things to get the bowel moving. Uh, and so those are the sorts of very holistic, uh, cost nothing sort of interventions that I try to focus on with my patients to restore gut health. Well, that's so interesting. The whole time you're talking, I'm sitting here very conscious <laughs> of my posture and yeah. <laughs> sitting up a little straighter. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, that really matches everything that I know intuitively and that is the most common advice, prevention advice, which is get out and walk, get out and walk. And I guess I thank my lucky stars that I've never been able to sit still for very long, <laughs> never. I have never been able to. And probably if I'd grown up slightly different time than I did grow up, I would have immediately been labeled as an ADHD kid and um, who knows, but, uh, yeah. I'm very glad that I, I just have this proclivity to not sit still for very long. <laughs> yeah. And whatever that looks like, I mean, at conferences, like I can't even go to conferences because it's, I can't sit there. Yeah. <laughs> so I do know this about myself already. And so getting up and taking that walk. And I know that over the years, I've heard many other wonderful tips. Like if you're, if you are at a desk, if that is your job, get up and stretch every 25 minutes or something. Mm -hmm just so that you don't get frozen in those positions. But that's really fascinating to me that the focus there is on posture. Like I ask you about gut health and you give me a posture response. Yeah. And somebody asks me about gut health, I'm going to give a food response, right? Yeah. So I love it because those things actually work together. And that brings up another word, which is that integrative word. Mm -hmm. And tell me if you want to add to this, but integrative health, and we hear about integrative practices, integrative health means that you're integrating these different components, these different facets of a human life, medical, nutritional, 
sleep, exercise, or mobility. You're integrating all of these into a system of diagnosis and or treatment, right? Is that, right. Does that about sum it up? Yeah, you got it. Um, so I think that one thing that I'm very thankful for is that the osteopathic profession welcomes people who are of a different background. That they, at least when I had been accepted into school, they weren't just looking for people who were being groomed to be doctors from the cradle. Mm. Um, you know, they, they saw value in that, you know, I had lived a whole life, like you had mentioned, uh, my first foray into medicine was veterinary medicine, working for a horse vet in North Texas. Um, I learned so much about that, that, that influences how I operate today. That, that makes me very pragmatic and not so caught up in theory, but, but wanting to see what works because that's what you do in veterinary medicine. Um, uh, well, yeah, your I'll, patients can't talk to you. Yeah, yeah. You got to figure <laughs> things out, even if That's it's unconventional. Huge. Yeah. Um, I was a personal trainer. Um, and so I, I have that background in exercise and nutrition uh, because I employed that to help my clients um, in a gym setting. Um, and so, you know, and, and along the line of the education and training that I have done as an osteopathic physician, I've gained more hats. Um, and so, what I try to do with, from an integrative perspective is to integrate everything that I have learned and experienced to try to see through as many lenses as possible what lies before me. Um, so from a, from a traditional medicine standpoint, again, what I often go to is, is there anything life-threatening and scary that I need to find? Because I have found those. Um, is there, um, you know, is there any preventative testing that should be done? Um, you know, colonoscopies can catch cancers. You know, there's a, there's a reason why they're done. And so um, understanding the nuances of, of the preventive medicine, uh, in addition to the, the uh, proactive uh, or reactionary medicine is important. Um, from an osteopathic perspective, just like our discussion of gut health, I'm thinking structure and function. What is off that I can help get better? Uh, is there something restricted that I can get nice and springy again and to get it working again so that the symptoms improve? Um, from a nutrition standpoint, uh, is there anything within the diet that I would want for them to cut, at least temporarily, to get inflammation down? Uh, is there anything that they're lacking from maybe a supplemental standpoint or, or uh, uh, from a standpoint of replacing anything within the diet with a whole food? Uh, is there an exercise that would help uh, this particular problem? And uh, many times the, the answers are yes, 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 yes. You know, when, when you go through that list of, of questions. And so what, what I perceive is that any problem is best addressed from multiple directions. You know, if you have an enemy, you don't, if you have a choice between going head forward with one arrow versus an army of archers coming in from different directions, you're going to choose the army of archers coming from different directions because you're most likely to hit the target. 
when there are multiple arrows flying from different directions. And so to me, that's uh, a picture of what I consider to be integrative medicine and how I try to practice to address issues from as many hats, as many angles as possible, always with the goal of number one of doing no harm. Um, and then secondarily, how can we, how can we get uh, these individuals better with minimal reliance on things that can hurt them over the long run? Yeah, yeah. I love that. What a beautiful description. And I love that you're taking the, the time and attention to look through all of those lenses because we are complex beings. Yeah. yeah. And it matters that we get both, well, all good nutrition, proper sleep, proper movement, and in the case where we need it, interventions, yep. either manipulative interventions or sometimes, and especially when trauma occurs, medical interventions. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's good to, to have at least a hand in, in multiple fields. Uh, when I was doing urgent care, it, uh, you know, that you're very tempted to overprescribe antibiotics in an urgent care setting because a lot of times you have this customer is always right. Um, this affects the bottom line of the clinic to give people what they want sort of mentality, it's, it's more difficult to say, look, your upper respiratory tract infection is most likely viral and is going to go away. Here's some things you can do to help it get better uh, versus just saying, look, I'm going to give you a Z-pack, you know, so you won't bother me or, or make trouble because uh, that does happen. And, um, and I think that more doctors would benefit if they knew more nutrition if they knew more exercise intervention, if they knew more holistic practices that uh, would help people. Yeah. So uh, I think all of us would benefit from doctors who are more integrated. I have a guest on here more often than others and she does body work mm -hmm. and trigger point therapy. And she's told me a story many times about not a case I think she was personally involved with, but a situation where a woman went to an emergency room, just so sick and in so much pain. And one of the attending physicians knew trigger point therapy, did trigger point therapy, and she walked away. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, what you're saying, it's like looking at what is the least invasive thing you can do that brings the most relief. Uh, I have, I've had uh, numerous experiences like that when I would do emergency medicine and um, in urgent care and, and in family medicine practices that I've been in, um, because it, your, your, uh, your potential to relieve human suffering um, is quite profound when you know, other than, than say, narcotics mm -hmm. for pain. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just tell you uh, an example. I, uh, I worked in the VA some when I was a resident down in DC and, and had a, a gentleman come in that uh, was having a, a heart attack. Ooh. So he's having profound chest pain. And, uh, and 
the doctors wouldn't give him, you know, the narcotics because he was already, he was narcotic dependent. Nothing was going to touch him. So he was in his bed, you know, moaning and groaning for several hours. Finally, I just thought, you know what, I'm not doing anything right now. Why don't I just go in and do a little OMT, some osteopathic work. So I got on his, I was just assessing him and I found an exquisite tender point, like talking about trigger point type thing. And so I did a little very gentle maneuver and, uh, and then I retested it and pain was gone. And so he was, so he was still having a heart attack that didn't fix that, but it made his pain drop dramatically during that time so that the, the medical interventions would be more effective and he would be at less risk. And if, if I had not have gone to an osteopathic school, have I had not learned or had the background or experience that I had, he would have just suffered all night long, wow. un- unremittingly. So uh, I, I, I value very much the people like, like who you're talking about, who does body work and, and trigger point, you know, all these things work together for the good, for uh, yeah. lack of a better phrase. Indeed. I mean, at, at one point, a couple of years ago, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before. Uh, I was driving in DC and an 18 wheeler hit me. And uh, I mean, besides the, the terrifying trauma and amygdala response of that, um, it messed up my back. And this woman, Kimber, who's a guest on here frequently, she at several points in my recovery, because you know, recovery goes, I mean, of course, you know, two steps forward, sometimes one step back, sometimes three steps back. Mm -hmm. So at one point, I, early on in the recovery, I was just in screaming, screaming pain all night long. And she came, I I couldn't walk, I I, I, I couldn't move hardly. And she came over and did uh, a little bit of trigger point therapy on me. And by the end of the day, I could walk. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a testimony to the Mm -hmm. (laughs) wonders of trigger point therapy and that kind of manipulative technique. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about the reduction of suffering. It's such a small item to do to reduce suffering so much. Right. So, so the, the trigger point work, I do a good amount of that as well. And it, it points to the fascial system. Um, and it's the fascia has tr- traditionally been that thing that you you're told to cut out so that you can see the real anatomy. It's but it's what we find out more and more is is how important the fascia is and that it's it's um, it's what gives us shape. It's what holds us together. Yeah. It's what allows our body to compensate around injury. It's, it's a magnificent and fascinating part of, of the human body that has been overlooked for many, many years. It's amazing. I mean, the, the wonders, the miracles of the human body continue to amaze me, as yeah. I'm sure they do you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Kaiser, thank you so much. I feel like I just expanded my knowledge a hundred times on an osteopathic physician is even though I kind of knew beforehand, uh, but it's so great to get into those definitions and into the descriptions and really understand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you bring to this world and the healing and the reduction in suffering. 
I truly appreciate it. Well, I appreciate having uh, you having me and, um, and I appreciate the work that you do providing good nutrition for people. Thank you so much. And as we always say to sign off here, eat for health, know your neighbor and grow some food.